Hello and welcome to Pop of Passion. Join me, Jack Sparker, comedian and highly sensitive person, along with a guest every other week as we delve into our deepest passions. From being a plant dad to conquering insecurity with comedy. If you relish the memory of an unexpected late night conversation with a stranger about their obscure passion, the kind where you have tears in your eyes one second and are doubled over laughing the next, this is the podcast for you. Hello and welcome to Pop of Passion. I'm Jack Sparker and I'm so glad you're here. My guest today was my very first boss out of college. He is a three-time alumnus of President Obama's campaigns. He worked as Florida's youth and LGBT vote director in 2012 for President Obama's re-election. Currently the executive director of Children of Lesbians and Gays Everywhere. You can hear him on his podcast, Gamer Friends, Anywhere you find podcasts, please welcome Jordan Budd. Hi. Hi, Jordan. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. No problem. How you doing? Really? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You've never (laughs) been interviewed before? Not like this, no. I don't think so. It's it not not for a very long time, if ever. Wow. Well, I'm honored, <laughs> and I hope I do you justice. Thanks. So I guess we should just get right into it. Um, Jordan Bud, what is your passion? Uh, you know, it took me a little bit to put into one word or phrase what my passion is, uh, but I landed on equity. And I think it's because it's been the driving factor in most of my major life decisions <laughs> is uh, my pursuit of equity for myself, for my community, for people who look like me and who share my identities and for people who don't. Um, it's, it's become my lifelong passion and something that I think about and <sighs> obsess over almost all the time. Yeah. So what is that obsession look like um it looks a lot like being broke all the time because (laughs) there's no money in uh working nonprofit jobs and organizing jobs that kind of thing um at least if you are really uh focused on people and, and building people power um but personally it's it's it looks a lot like having trouble with the status quo and not yeah. being not being okay with how things are going or what the trajectory of things is right now in in any number of issues mm-hmm. uh and not being able to passively watch that happen i think that my inability to stay uninvolved <laughs> is a direct <laughs> result of my passion for equity yeah, I feel like a old-fashioned negative way to look at it would be to call you a busybody, but you're like the best type of busybody. <laughs> right. I would you're like, really love to be in everyone's business, but only so that no one else bothers you in your business. Yes, exactly. And I think like you're doing it for the best reasons, so you're the best kind of busybody. 
Um, I'm going to add that to my repertoire of, of how to explain what I do to people. Please do. And you don't even have to attribute it to me. <laughs> this one's on me. Um, so uh, my favorite part about what you were when you were describing your passion is when you were talking about how you're looking for equity in your community, people who look like you, people um, who are in similar circumstances, but then also people who aren't. Like, that is so cool because it really is, it's about everyone um, to an extent. And what do you think, like, drives you to that? Um, it's, it's really straightforward. Honestly, <laughs> I grew up very, um, comfortable, I would say, around in or thought about them. And for a while, because of my family structure, I didn't have to think about them. Um, if you think about Barack Obama, who, you know, I have mixed opinions yes, on, yes. uh, now in, uh, with 2020 vision, uh, yeah. literally and figuratively. <laughs> Um, I had a very similar upbringing. I lived with my single mom, with my grandparents, and that afforded a lot of stability that many other children of single mothers definitely did not have. Um, that changed a lot when I moved from South Florida to South Carolina when I was in high school. I encountered a level of racism and classism that I had not, uh, been cognizant of, I will say, in South Florida. And what I mean by that is it was happening. Like I was experiencing racism and classism all the time, but I didn't have the language for it. And it wasn't necessarily happening directly to me as much as it was happening to people around me. And so it wasn't uh, hitting the same way as when it's something that you go through yourself. Um, my politics had begun to evolve in high school and it was really moving to South Carolina, seeing the hopelessness there mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, having to make friends along racial lines in a way that I had not had to do that in South Florida, um, really becoming hyper aware of the role of Christianity in how many people come to think about social issues today and how problematic that can be in a lot of circumstances. Those thoughts and those experiences didn't really hit home again until I moved to South Carolina. Um, people used to tease me uh, about moving to New York and say, oh, you're in for a real culture shock when you get up there. Uh, and this was in reference to me going to NYU, uh, which is actually where we met. <laughs> um, and I would always reply that the culture shock was not um, going to New York, it was going to South Carolina. That was the biggest culture shock of my life in a lot of different ways. Um, and it prepared me for organizing in a way that I uh, am very grateful for, again, with hindsight, uh, facing that level of adversity, being put in that situation really helped me to understand how these issues impact so many other people all across the world and in much worse ways than it ever impacted me. And if I don't want to deal with how I was being treated in South Carolina, I can't imagine how people are feeling in much worse circumstances. And at the time, I had much younger brothers and sisters. I guess they are still much younger than me, but they're 
adults now. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't want them to feel the way that I felt growing up there. Uh, I was there for a really short time. It was like two years and I went to college. But um, for my siblings, they grew up there. And that was a deep concern to me. So it was very much me personally engaging with the types of isms that I care deeply about today that led me to um, learning more about organizing and getting involved in that way. Yeah, that's, wow. Um, You know, I think, because we met while organizing, that's how we know each other, um, on a college level. You were obviously way higher up and more involved in the organization. But then post my graduation, um, you know, we did go to Tennessee. And it's so funny because I had a culture shock, the culture shock of my life. I grew up in the Midwest. Then I moved to New York City. And I was like, everyone is so nice in New York. And I, and that's like as a Midwesterner who everyone thinks is nice. But then the South, oh my, everyone, I thought they were so mean. And I didn't, I didn't handle it well. Um, because no. <laughs> I'm so sensitive and I'm no longer an organizer because you know what I mean? I didn't adapt to it and it wasn't for me, but it's just interesting how we have these ideas about like cultural norms and like all that kind of stuff, but it affects everyone differently. And like, I'm saying that as like a very privileged white lady. So I can't even imagine what South Carolina must've felt like. But I see that it has like really driven you. It was a different world and it was the shock of my life. It in many ways prepared me directly for Tennessee and Texas and North Carolina and a few other uh, rural organizing uh, jobs that I've had over the years. Um, And so I'm grateful for that in a way. (laughs) But at the same time, again, if I didn't have to go through that, I would love to have not done that and that's why I continue to push the way that I've continued to push because I don't want people to have those experiences growing up um and at all so yeah definitely like it's it feels like it's um you are talking about like you know your younger siblings but uh, the greater population no one should have to go through those times right I think what has solidified that for me because I've definitely evolved over time. I was pretty singularly focused for a while. I was like, I only care about the black community. I need to make sure that the black community is taken care of, that we're self-sufficient, that we are uh, shielded from racism, et cetera, et cetera. And then that kind of expanded as my identity expanded. Oh, I want to make sure that LGBTQ people are preserved and that they are safe and that they are not harmed and oh I want to make sure that young people are empowered and that they feel comfortable leading movements etc etc and it occurred to me that uh, experiences that I'm never going to directly have but that doesn't mean that their struggles are any less important and it doesn't mean that we can't work collaboratively and collectively to change these things. And so uh, as my organizing uh, expanded, my ideology has expanded a lot. And now I firmly believe that a multiracial, multiethnic, multicultural movement that is uh, across uh, 
organizing lines is the only way that we're going to get out of this. And so I, I work to build that intersectional movement uh, as much as I possibly can. And I just want to say thank you for that work because someone's got to do it. And I'm happy it's you because I know you are putting your heart and soul into it. And it's gonna, it's already shown and made a difference and it's only going to grow. Yeah, I think that we're living uh, at a really interesting moment. I think more people understand the situation uh, as it is, as opposed to what we've been taught that it is or what we're supposed to think that it is. And that's very encouraging. I think we see a lot of changes in public opinion around really important issues like uh, defunding and abolishing the police, for instance, as, as a major issue that's up in the, the social calendar right now, if you yeah. want to put it that way. Uh, and you can see the data, like things have improved greatly amongst public opinion on these issues. And it's moving about as quickly as marriage equality moved, which, as I'm sure you remember, mm-hmm. happened really fast in yeah. the grand scheme of things. So I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. Uh, I, I want to make sure that the energy sticks around, though. I think we have a lot of work to do to make sure that we're not satiated and that we don't accept the crumbs, but actually continue to fight for real substantive change. Absolutely. We cannot accept the crumbs because... We are not church mice. <laughs> That's you know? right. We're not. We are human beings. So I guess I'm wondering what about um, equity do you see as like impacting you on a personal level? So like how does your passion affect you day to day? not necessarily like work or like um, your job, but like just on a daily basis, how do you feel it drives you? It's hard to stop thinking about things like equity when the news is what it is. Um, You know, as a black person, um, a black man, Uh, and a large black man, it's not lost on me when the conversation veers into, oh, well, that black person was big and deserved to be shot, uh, as we've heard with Michaela in Ohio, uh, where guys very changed the direction of the encounter. And that wears on me for Mm -hmm. sure to know that there are people out there who think that my body is what they need to be afraid of and that no matter what I'm doing personally my size is always going to be a part of how people respond to me and how people think about me Um, and it's hard not to get caught up in all of the negatives of that on a day-to-day basis Um, I think most of all, my passion is a balancing act (laughs) between, uh, getting bummed out and, and despairing and, and feeling hopeless about the situation, but also having it drive me and really invigorate me to continue the work that I'm doing. 
I think it is so important the way that the body positive movement has changed how we talk about fatness and size and that there is an organized pushback when ignorant things and ignorant comments are made around these types of issues. And um, it's, it's one of those things where you can either choose to obsess over it in a bad way or choose to let it drive you. And I think in a perfect world, what I would like to see is a situation where people don't have to choose one or the other, that it's just a description, it's an adjective that applies to them and it's not something that's gonna define their life and who they are and how they live or more importantly, how they die. Wow, yeah. I just wanna give a moment for that statement because that was very powerful. Um, yeah. Um, do you have any like things you do um, in terms of like self-care that you're comfortable sharing um, with how you deal with you know equity being your passion yeah um (laughs) this seems very counter to my ideology which is very pacifist and very focused on restoration uh transformative justice and (laughs) not uh causing additional harm um I play a lot of video games where basically the whole point is to shoot as many aliens as possible. <laughs> that is <laughs> that is 100% how I make it through every week, being yeah. able to completely unplug and put myself into a fantasy world where we are not talking about race or gender or sexual orientation. We're just talking about this imminent threat that we have to get rid of um, and uh, leave the politics at the door, um, which is not to say that video games can't be or are not political which I talk a lot about on on my gaming podcast <laughs> um, but most importantly it's it's a way for me to really unplug because there's nothing about our current reality um, that's happening in, in these video games at least the ones that I play there's definitely ones that you could play that are a lot more reminiscent of of real life um, but that is something that I like to do a lot. Uh, and it helps me a great deal to decompress and and playing with friends and things like that. Uh, Probably more along the lines of what you would recognize as a (laughs) self-care routine. No judgment. (laughs) I love candles and like aromatherapy. Mm -hmm. I just unpacked some new balsam and cedar tea lights this afternoon, actually. And I cannot wait for the sun to go down so I can light them and I'm going to make my living room smell like a Christmas tree in May or still April, I guess. Um, I'm extremely excited about that. I love to just chill, play some uh, lo-fi hip hop (laughs) and, and relax with some candles. Yeah, that's good. And I think everyone has to find their thing and then like do the thing 
The hardest part I find is to remember to do the thing that you're supposed to do when you're stressed or overwhelmed. Yeah. You know, I have a list on my phone that I have to look at when I'm stressed out because I don't, when you're that stressed, you can't think. So you have to, I'll look and I'll be like, okay, so I have 20 things I could do. And I've, this has taken years to like put together and I, it's been with my therapist, but there has to be one thing on that list that I'm like, okay, that's good. And sometimes it's literally laying in bed, putting on the Real Housewives and not even looking at the screen, but like facing the other way and like listening to these women yell at each other. And like, for whatever reason, (laughs) that does it for me. Is it? Also, something that you don't have to watch because you've memorized all the dialogue? Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. Since uh, we went down into lockdown on uh, St. Patrick's Day 2020, I have watched um, every episode of The Real Housewives of New York five times. So, where's my That's award? That's an incredible stat. Where's your parade? I don't know. I don't really like parades. <laughs> you wouldn't want to parade? Okay. I don't. We'll I find parades else. a little stressful. It's like too many people. I'm like afraid that there's going to be a shooting. And like, it's just, you know, people are throwing candy. And it. I don't like to walk in a parade. I don't like to stand in a parade. And I don't want to be near a parade. Even, you know, that causes traffic. But I digress. You know... I don't know if it is a digression. I don't want you to have to think about those things. That's why. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Bringing it back. You know, we, we really would be better off in a world where the first thing you think about a parade is not a mass shooting. That would be a good start, I think. Yeah, would love that. And I think that's a possibility. Yeah. Maybe, in my maybe. lifetime. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I didn't say it was going to happen. It was a possibility. <laughs> I just would like to be hopeful about it. But there's so many things like I get scared. Um, even every time I walk into a Walmart, I get scared. Um, you know, gas stations. That's legitimate. That's not going to change. No, no. Like they're the biggest seller of guns in the country. Um, but then like I have crawled out of a movie theater on like like I was in the army because a man came in. Like halfway through, he had a backpack. He was alone. The movie I was um, that Dolly Parton Queen Latifah holiday movie. Oh my! And it God. was in New York, and I believe it was right after the Boston bombing or Sandy Hook. I don't remember which. And I went to watch a movie to space out, and I was like one of the only people in the theater. And then the man came in. And, uh, yeah, I left, but I didn't leave standing because I was so scared. The trauma that we have all collectively gone through is its own argument for universal health care because we all need mental health counseling because of the PTSD of just living here. Yeah. It's wild. Do you remember when the Oprah, Meghan Markle, Harry interview happened and all the people in like England were live tweeting and they were like, what's up with all the ads for medicine and drugs? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that's every day. 
because we don't have universal health care. So that was the day that I got about 20 new gifts. And that was my biggest takeaway from <laughs> that. Love it. Oh, God. What a day. Yeah. What a day on Twitter.com. I love gifts. I feel like that's such a our age group thing. I know. Don't Zoomers make fun of us for that? Like, isn't it uncool now to use gifts? Yeah. And I'm kind of like, I don't really care because you guys have stupid opinions about many things in my opinion but I definitely have curbed my gif use on Twitter lately because I don't want to be called a millennial it's like these generational wars that have been like basically made because I think it's boomers fault so I'm just part of the problem Uh, they were tired of getting yelled at so they tried to start a war between us it's like Christ. You know, I don't think you're right. I think that because uh, in all of American history, and by the way, I did not come up with this idea. Actually, Michael Hobbs on You're Wrong About has talked about this multiple times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So credit where credit's due. But uh, he was talking about how the silent generation at a certain point, like, left power and gave it to the boomers as the generation before them as the generation before them but the boomers have decided to stay in power long after the previous generation ever did Mm -hmm. and so we're having a generational fight i think because of this conflict where people our age are not actually making any decisions <laughs> and yeah. all the decisions that are being made are not beneficial to us or what we're interested in. And it's in large part because of how our country has changed and people staying in power longer. Um, but anyway, that is a whole different passion. <laughs> <laughs> all passions are welcome on Pop Passion. Um, but, wow, I want to thank you um for talking to me about your passion I do have a quick fun question that is pop related I ask one to every guest and then we're going to do our passion plugs so your um your pop I call it pop ponderings Jordan if you were to choose a Funko pop of any human or character in history who would it be you can like make one up. It doesn't have to be one that exists. Wow. First of all, what a unique question. It had the word pop in it. I think that that's it's great. It fits perfectly. Thank you. Um of anyone I'm so sorry that I'm like taking a sec- like no. obviously cut this out no this is the but... most important question I've asked all day oh. okay <clears throat> I would want a bobblehead of W.E.B. Du Bois <laughs> where would... I think that <laughs> go ahead Oh, where would you display the bobblehead I would want that bobblehead like directly on my desk right yeah. next to my keyboard so that every word I type, I feel like W.E.B. Du Bois is watching it so that it keeps me from being 
nonsensical and foolish. I think that is an awesome answer. And we're going to make that happen. We're going to make your dream come true. I'm totally I think that'll actually be a really... I don't have the money. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be a very cute bobblehead just in general now that I think about it. And so I'm going to add that to like my white whale list. Yeah. Before, before I retire, I want a, a W.E.B. Du Bois bobblehead on my desk. I want that for you. Um, so we're going to get into our passion plugs. Um, I'm going to let you close it out. So I'm going to go first. Um, this episode's passion plug comes to you from our friend Sarah, who is a great source of support and inspiration. Black Mamas Matter Alliance is a black woman-led cross-sectional alliance. They center black maternal health, rights, and justice. Please go to black, blackmamasmatter.org to get involved and donate if you're able. Links will be available in the show notes. All right, Jordan. Okay. My, you said passion uh, project, right? Passion plug, but yeah. Passion plug, sorry. Okay. My passion plug is collage, I think, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm the executive director. It stands for, or used to stand for, technically, children of lesbians and gays everywhere. The gist of it is that uh, people with LGBTQ parents or caregivers have really unique experiences and we kind of fall not entirely inside the LGBTQ community, but not outside of it either. It's a gray area for some people, uh, but not for us. And we really need community and support um, for the unique challenges, but also triumphs that come along with having an LGBTQ parent. Uh, LGBTQ plus parent or caregiver. So uh, if you're interested in that kind of work, uh, see what intersectional campaigns we've got up to. You can visit collage.org. And we're always looking for donations if you've got the spare change. We would love to uh, expand and grow. And uh, with your support, we can do that. Awesome. Everyone check out Collage. Did I say that right now? I'm really self-conscious. Collage. No, it's... Collage. Collage. Okay. Right. I don't know why I said Because I never, oh my gosh, I have such a problem where I like only see words and I never hear them because I live on my phone. And I remember once I was about at least 20 years old and I said, um, Yosemite. And you said, Jacqueline, it's Yosemite. And I will never forget that. So thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> I hope I wasn't a dick about it. No, you absolutely weren't. I actually have a really big problem with people correcting me in any, in terms of like how I speak. And like, I would remember if that pissed me off because it, you stuff like that usually does. But no, you said it in the nicest way. And like, so thank you. Okay, great. Because yeah. I'm working on my delivery. No, you're great. <laughs> um, so, uh... Thank you all for listening to Pop of Passion, produced by Christine Ferreira. Thank you, Jordan Budd. Please follow the show on social media at Pop of Passion and at popofpassionpodcast.com. I'm Jack Sparker. Go out and be the light, living your passion. <laughs>